Have you ever wondered what we know and what we've always gotten wrong about the weather? Welcome to what is it about the weather podcast where we explore the many ways that weather intertwines itself into our lives. I'm your host, Mark Jelanek. And in this episode, and for a couple more, we're actually going to be talking about exactly that, which is things we have known for a long time and things we just were way off on. In any case, we're going to do a little series, like I said. But as always, before we get into this, before we dive in, let me just say I hope your weather, your actual weather, is doing well. I'm settling into early summer. I've had a few more of those kind of roller coaster days, if you will. Woke up, you know, it was temperature and comfortable, pleasant actually, and shot right up to 100. But now I'm back to more seasonable. And in the short term, it looks like I'm going to stay there for a while. Probably warmer than I would normally say is what I would, you know, aim for, but reasonable nonetheless. Slightly cool nights, slightly a little bit warmer in the days, nice mix in between, some weather coming and going, all the things that to me are what weather's about, right? But I got a question this week, which is, and it's relevant for the last couple of days, which is why I got the question, what the heck is a potential tropical cyclone? Now, for those of you not in the United States, or for those of you that don't follow hurricanes, tropical cyclones, because of where you live, this may just be like, yeah, whatever. I've never heard of it. Don't really care. It's all good. But for people who live around the coast in the U.S. particularly, they're wondering what's this thing that it's relatively new. It's called a potential tropical cyclone. It's not new this year, but it's only a few years old. But the idea is pretty simple, actually. What is it? It's exactly what the name says. It has the potential, if you will, of becoming a tropical cyclone. Now, you're asking, why did they invent this thing or what's relevant? Now, in the case, what we're talking about, the one that's of relevance currently is something that there was actually a hurricane in the Pacific, made landfall in Mexico, and some of the energy from that hurricane moved over inland into the area of the Gulf of Mexico after crossing over parts of Mexico. But the environment wasn't really conducive for a tropical cyclone to form. Nonetheless, right, we had this issue of it bringing conditions that you often experience with tropical cyclones. And that's one of the reasons we fall them to begin with. They can be, you know, certainly winds are relevant, but quite often, and, you know, it's not a new topic for anybody that's listening to the podcast. One of the bigger risks, if you will, is flooding and rain. And that that's what this is primarily about. It's a event that's going to produce a lot of rain. And, the idea of a potential tropical cyclone is that it triggers, because of the issue agency is in the U.S. here, the National Hurricane Center, it triggers coverage that you wouldn't get for just a weather event otherwise. And I think that's really what it's born out of is it's something they would have been watching anyways. And it's something that people who really follow tropical cyclones would have been watching anyways because they do this thing called an invest, which is they kind of initialize an area and it triggers all sorts of models to run, right? That, that's where it was developed. And a lot of those don't turn into anything. But sometimes you get a much better picture of a potential behavior when you've identified something as a target, right? And the models just know to treat it differently. And 
the difference in this case is not only are the models covering it, but the agency's covering it, and that behavior triggers news agencies to cover it that might not cover it otherwise. So I've seen a lot of things, but that's what it is. You know, there are characteristics for something to be called a tropical cyclone, and one of them, and probably the last one that you that finally happens, is a low-level circulation. And we send out planes to look at it. We can kind of tell it from satellite imagery and all these things. But this doesn't have that. And the conditions are sort of hostile for that formation because what allows a tropical cyclone to form is certain atmospheric conditions. And some of those are present. Some of them aren't. Nonetheless, we've got this rain event. And it's going to be a meaningful rain event, much like other tropical cyclones. Benefit is it gets the appropriate coverage. The reality is not quite a tropical cyclone yet. still has the potential to become one. But there you have it. That's what a potential potential tropical cyclone is. The other thing that, of course, has caught my eye is the summer travel. And I'm just going to remind people, we talked about this, an episode around the holidays, right, where I was talking about the risk of weather having an impact on holiday travel. Tons of people are traveling this summer. It's finally people feel like they can get back to doing it again. But... I will tell you, between the staffing shortages and weather in general, you're going to see tons of delays, tons of cancellations, and just be aware of that. Think about that in your planning process. The other thing I I recommend to people is overnight trips might be a little more risky. They might get canceled, but I, I guess be prepared that that can happen and that, you know, I've read stories about part of a trip being canceled and not. This just kind of be cognizant of it, but if you're planning something that's really important, a, a trip that you're going to do that's far away, particularly international, one of the things you can do, particularly with international flights, is look at where the planes are coming from. Some of those international flights come inbound from international and go right back out. Those are actually, unless the weather's right over you, less likely all right, to have some of these disruptions. But if the crew that's going to be manning that flight it's coming from another city, and they've got to fly through weather. It, it's not always just about the plane, but a lot of these international flights, you can, with various systems online, see where the plane's originally coming from, and sometimes, to a lesser extent, the crews, because you know that's more of an internal thing. But a lot of the people that do these international flights fly into the city and turn around and fly back out, right? And so those flights are probably a little less prone to being canceled delayed sure potentially if the weather's right where you are canceled less likely so so just keep that in mind but be thinking about it be aware that the weather where you are because i was somewhere just around memorial day and i heard people talking about it well i don't see weather i'm not seeing it and they're they're already telling us our flight's going to be delayed or whatever it is and sure enough there was weather where they they had to go through right and and it did lead again that weekend to a bunch of cancellations so just be think bigger don't think just about where you are leaving from or where you're going to but what's in between and collect connecting planes and all that stuff just keep that in mind all right let's talk a little bit about this idea of rethinking weather. Originally, I was going to do this as a single episode. And it's been a while since I've done a series. And here we are. And it's summertime, right? To me, meteorological summer started. Some places, summer, for some people, they've been thinking about summer since May and, and earlier on, depending on whether your lunar calendar, or solar calendar, whatever. Solar calendar, 
we still got a couple weeks. But I thought it'd be a good time because let's be clear, a lot of people are traveling. A lot of people also treat podcasts in the same way. They may miss an episode or two. So it's a good time to kind of do a series. So I thought instead of doing a single episode, I would do an episode series. Like I said, it's been a little while since we've done one of these on the fundamental idea of what we, you know, how long have we known certain things about the weather that we've gotten right and other things that we've just gotten wrong? Because there's still things today that we just get wrong, right? That this, either the science has changed quite a bit or the technology has allowed us to look at it a different way or, you know, it's just old myths. Now, we're not going to get too much into old you know, myths and wives tales, if you will, because we've done that in past episodes. And probably when I get to that kind of close out, I'll, I'll put links to those. But I decided what, what might be interesting is to divide it up into what I will call the four phases of our understanding of meteorology, if you will. So we're going to do this first one I'm going to call the ancients. And this is truly thousands of years ago, if you will, because the second one we're going to do brings us to Aristotle. So Aristotle wrote a famous, I I guess you would call it a book at the time, about meteorology specifically. Now, some of his stuff was learnings from earlier generations, but it really captured thinking at the time, both within his context of how they understood the world, but, you know, kind of what they had learned from previous stories and ideas that had been passed on. Then we're going to go from Aristotle to that Victorian age. Now, I did an episode a while back about Victorian meteorology, and I was specifically doing it on a singular topic, if you will. But I thought I would do that because it's not, it, it will capture a little bit of pre Victorian, maybe a little bit of the Middle Ages, but I am going to focus on that book that I mentioned about Victorian meteorology. And then the last episode, so it'll come out right around the end of June will be about the idea of modern times, right? So really where we finally started getting the science right, but even things that we continue to get wrong once we started to understand and how, you know, just computer models and those sort of things have helped, but may have also not helped, if you will. Probably the most interesting part, I think, for most people will be those two in the middle. And and like I said, they're going to kind of be the focus episode. So we'll kind of peak in the middle, if you will. But I thought the wrap-up would be useful. And and like I said, I'll cover a few things that I think are kind of relevant in the modern era. Now, I'm going to put a lot of links in the show notes as we go through this. So just keep that in mind. For this first episode, I'm going to put two sets of links. One is going to be about things that I talk about today, but the other one's going to be about prepping for that Aristotle thing. So I'm not saying you have to do it before you listen to the episode, but you might. You might want to read some of the things because there's both what Aristotle wrote himself, but also some people that have written about Aristotle and this great document that was created. And I think you might find it useful to maybe gain some of that knowledge ahead of time. You don't have to by any means. I'm going to cover at a high level, but it can also then serve as filling in because if it's a topic that interests you, there's a lot of information to absorb there. All right. So with that in mind, Let's talk about the ancients a little bit. And when I, like I said, when I talk about the ancients, I'm talking before kind of 350-ish BC. So over a couple thousand years ago, about 2,500 years ago, prior to that, right? Because up until that point, we hadn't had somebody that really took the time to put together the, the thinking of the day, okay? I'm not saying that no one had done it, but 
generally speaking. Now, it's a little harder to talk about what we got wrong back then, because quite frankly, we don't have the written information about it. But the reality is most of the things are wrong. And most of the things were wrong for some obvious reasons. So really, when you think about it, though, it's, it's like more, what did we get right? And you can go back to the first well-known case of the weather playing a role. And it probably had to do with Noah. So the, the, the standard biblical story of Noah and his ark, right? Now, this story plays out for most of Christianity and the Jewish faith, but to some extent also in Islam and everything. So it's, it's just a well-known story. So, right, it's a story that even if you're not in one of those faiths, at some point there's a good chance you've heard the story or seen the movie or, or whatever it is, but are just aware that the idea was pretty simple, that God told Noah, I'm going to basically flood things, get ready, and build this ark, and it's going to be a lot of rain, 40 days, 40 nights, and then you guys are going to repopulate the earth, if you will. So I guess you could look at Noah kind of as being like a modern-day meteorologist who looks at models and plans on it accordingly or helps you plan on it. The difference is, theoretically, he was getting that information from God, right? No doubt Noah told other people, and no doubt people thought Noah was crazy. And same thing happens today, right? It, there's some forecast for a big snow event or a big tropical cyclone, and sometimes those don't pan out, and people think they're crazy, right? And every now and then, they happen, and they, this happened to be just a bigger scale. But that's kind of the first, I guess, documented story, if you will, that really brings weather into play. And in theory, Noah got it right, but he got a little advance warning, if you will. But as we've gone through time, right, as, as we start bringing it in, if you will, between when we started having any sort of ways to capture the world around us, whether it be on clay tablets, whether it be on some sort of papyrus, you had a variety of people, whether it was the Egyptians or the Babylonians or other cultures that really were the first, I guess, to bring about what we think of as meteorology in the sense that they were the ones that made connection between the weather and just astronomy or astrology, the sky, the things around us. And they wanted to connect it that way to how the world was behaving or how the, the earth was behaving in relationship to the heavens around it. But at the same time, they recorded a lot of things like it could have been, you know, things that happened in the weather. Okay. But more or less, they didn't necessarily get into forecasting. They wanted to, like I said, they wanted to make these relationships. They wanted to have these understandings, but it wasn't necessarily something that they could do with their knowledge at the time. And it wasn't just in, you know, we always hear these ancient talkings and we hear about this kind of focus around the Mediterranean because there's much written history there, but parts of Asia, other, there's a well-known Chinese king, an ancient Dayu, um, who had, I want to say it's been over 4,000 years now as well, who was well-known for dealing with floods. And there's a lot of 
mythology around him as, as figuring this thing out about how to better manage canals and those sort of things to stop these devastating floods from killing people. And there's evidence that, you know, for a long time it was thought, oh, well, they, this was all myth, but they have found proof of this flood really did occur. And so it's not just hype, right? That this king was known, right? And, and apparently really did have a lot to do with saving his people from this recurring event that happened quite often between, you know, thinking about the world around him, knowing what would probably trigger these events based on certain weather situations and being able to manage that, right? So again, we get to the same thing though, that the ideas are fundamentally that it's not so much about being able to say, this is what the weather was going to do, or even being able to say, I know what's going to come of this weather, even though there are some writings about that, that, you know, certain ways the skies look, but it would be the same thing that you or I would do today, right? There wasn't this necessarily this grand connection, but as you and I both know, part of that challenge is because the way weather works is based on a global behavior, right? And things that happen in different parts of the oceans or the atmosphere work their way around to us. It's not as simple as just thinking about where we are. That said, I have no doubt for long periods of time that people understood how certain ways of, yeah, they, okay, let's take fog as an example. If you have a cold body of water or something like that, people could probably figure out that there was some connection. They may not fully understand it, but they could probably make some connection. But it ultimately would be a line of Greeks that kind of started throwing ideas out. because They were very focused on the wind, understandably so. And I think I found something, a, a good story for a future, did history change podcast, you know, event that I'll probably do sometime later in the summer based on the same thing, because the Greeks were, I mean, it's a set of islands. Yes, it's connected to the rest of Europe, but a lot of it is just islands. And so sailing and the wind behavior was very important to them. So trying to understand wind was very important to them. But they had these, if you will, evolving up to Aristotle views of what was important. So, you know, one model was based on the water being the primary element others it was the air for some people it, you know it's this you get back to fire earth um water and you know you get all these in air you get all the elements that come together that make up the different model but the way i like to think of the greeks is and again there were a lot of them that were involved whether it was thales or democritus or um Hippocrates or whether it was, you know, any of these people, like I said, their focus was the wind, but there would be one that would come along that I think his name was Eudoxus. And he was one of the first people to recognize the idea of cyclical behaviors. You know, everybody by then kind of understood, okay, when the winter it's cold and the summer it's warmer, you get these other seasons. But he saw that there was these repeating patterns that would happen every so many years. And this kind of gets into like th modern day thinking about El Nino, La Nina, where you would get, you know, an El Nino pattern and then, you know, a La Nina pattern. But, you know, there was kind of a cyclical nature where it seemed to seesaw back and forth. And he was one of the first to say, hey, Yes, you can have spring or yes, you can have summer, but all summers aren't equal. And we tend to have this rotation of warm summers every so often. And so they were seeing these behaviors. But again, if you, if you take all the Greek philosophers and you put them together, 
they put forward a model and they go, my model's the best. And they would try to make everything fit around it. Right. And then another one would come along and do that. Now there's good and bad with that. It leads to a lot of misinformation or misunderstanding, if you will. But at the same time, because there was this idea of trying to make things fit, they, they would investigate things a little bit more. So there was a lot of advancement in terms of all understanding. And that's where we're going to pick up with Aristotle in the next episode on this. But with all this, right, if you were going to look at these early times, why it was so hard, okay, why they couldn't do more potentially with meteorology than they likely did, I think it really boils down to a very basic, a, a few things, right? One is this, their ability to measure things, because as we know, doing good forecast requires a measurement capability. And one, they didn't have the instrumentation to do it, to do it accurately, if you will. But they also lacked this vertical understanding. And if you read through some of the links that I sent, you can see that, you know, they hypothesized about how hail was formed and all that stuff. So they had a very good understanding of the things that they could sense. And we, we've even discussed that before, right? That, that, that anything that was tactile to them, the, the heat, the cold, the rain, the hail, the winds, because we feel our senses can take that in. All right. But if you were taking one element of weather that's fundamental to what we know today that they just probably didn't grasp, I would say it has to be atmospheric pressure. Because we don't, at a conscious level, really understand how atmospheric pressure feels, okay? There are people that, that do when they deal with you know, let's say arthritis or other things, they can know when the pressures are coming and going. But generally speaking, we don't feel it. We don't get that sense of change, right? And because of that, they had no grasp of needing to make that what is a very fundamental connection in the process and probably led to a lot of the wrongness that they got. Like I said, there, there, there's no doubt that they didn't understand this was a global system or even how big the globe was, right? And that they had no, certainly had no way to measure it, but they were missing this fundamental premise of how atmospheric pressure influences the world around us and therefore likely contributed to limiting their understanding of what weather is and how weather works, All right? So the ancients, like I said, they got the idea and there's no doubt that for certain environments, you could probably forecast certain things like, you know, daytime heating and, and the impacts that has on the winds and stuff like that. But there are a lot of things they probably just got plain wrong. And they probably never took the time to write that stuff down. I wouldn't have. Why? Well, you know, it just, didn't, just doesn't make any sense. But it's not to say they didn't at least start thinking about how important it was and that there might be might be some broader explanation to it than just, eh, is what it is. Any case, that's the ancients. Next time, like I said, we're going we're gonna to dig into Aristotle and see what he might have to say, what he did have to say. Again, take a look at the show notes if you want to read a little more ahead of time or afterwards. But in the meantime, what was missing in this case? Some very fundamental things. Seems like this is a small list, but it can make a huge difference. But whenever you explore the past, for whatever reason, just remember, there's much more to weather than the weather itself. <laughs>